All right, let me go ahead and open this up in a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for this time that we will gather together and just be able to study your word. I pray right now, God, that we would be able to open up your word and have it speak to us. May your spirit um, work in our hearts. May you help us stay alert, stay awake. Um, and may you also teach us, Lord. Teach us, Lord, just how good you are and, and why it's why it's so wonderful to be able to pursue you. So thank you, God, for all this. Pray all this in your name. Amen. All right. So... So then, if, if you guys have been tracking along with what's going on in Zeruma, um, the first week I, I, talked about, I talked about the necessity of being in the Word of God and just why it's so good for us to be in the Word of God and making that your foundation as you guys begin this new school year. And especially during this time when this new school year is really different from all other years, uh, where we really need something that grounds us. And the word of God, it should be our anchor. Um, last week, PT, Pastor Terrence, covered um, taking the, the whole concept of the word of God and now taking us to Acts and, and covering how the word of God really impacted the city of Thessalonica and the city of Berea. And, and just seeing how these truths and these doctrines really impact people's lives and change them. Tonight, I'm going ahead and kind of follow that same trend that we've been, that, that's been going on here. And I want to talk a little bit more about the people in Thessalonica. And we're going to look at a letter uh, by Paul to the Thessalonians. And, and I, I've been preaching through the preaching through first Thessalonians in, in transit, our young adult fellowship. And, and so I've been going through this, and, and because I was, had a pretty busy week, I, I was trying to pull different things from First Thessalonians. And, and, and so, and what I found was that there's, there's a lot of things we can gain from here, a lot of practical advice that we can gather from this letter that I pray will encourage you as you guys go into this new school year, go into this new church year, and, and really encourage you guys to really deepen your faith. And so what, what's, what's actually going to go, go on tonight is this, this one message I'm pulling from two messages that I preached on in First Thessalonians. So we're going, to look at, we're going to be looking at two separate passages. Um, but because they're from the same letter, the, the overall theme is still there. And, and the theme that, that, that we're really going to be focusing upon is this, that the church, the, the body of Christ, transcends any season even this season of hardship and separation because the church remains unified through our faith in Christ and our love for God the church is a body a body of believers brothers and sisters a family that is able to endure through any times any struggles and I, just, and I pray that this message will encourage you to see just how important it is for you to invest yourself into the church, which is really what I'm saying is investing yourself into turf, investing yourself into this fellowship here and being able to make that a community where you can find love, compassion, 
fellow kindred spirits, people who is willing to run the race that we are all running, and we do it together. And so with that, turn with me to First Thessalonians, and we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verse 17. First Thessalonians, chapter 2, verse 17. And the first point we're going to look at is this, the joy of growing together. The joy of growing together. Second Thessalonians chapter 17, verse 20. I'm going to go ahead and read this passage. It says, But since we were torn away from you, brothers, for a short time, a person not in heart, we endeavor the more we endeavored the more eagerly and with great desire to see you face to face. Because we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, again and again. But Satan hinder us. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus at his coming? Is it not you? For you are our glory and joy. The first point that we see here is the joy of growing together. And what we're going to first look upon here about Paul and the, Tess- and the Thessalonians is we're going to look at the relationship between the two. Now, just to give a little background, Paul, when he came to Thessalonica, he was there for several weeks. He was there for several weeks. And if you think about a span of about two or three weeks, that's a really small amount of time for Paul to be ministering there. And yet he was ministering there day and night, every day, making disciples, teaching them from Scripture, helping them grow in their faith. But, be, but he had to leave early. He had to leave early because he, got, he was traced out by Jews who just didn't like what he was teaching. And so the Thessalonians, they were left beyond their faith. And, and Paul worried about them. Paul worried about how they're going to continue enduring through the faith because the people who traced Paul out were still there in the city and they're now persecuting the church. So Thessalonians were under hardships. And what we see here in our passage is that Paul here, Paul here desires to be physically present with the Thessalonians. He wanted to go back and finish his teaching with them. He wanted to see them face to face. And what we get here is that scripture affirms that the physical gathering of the church is a good thing. He, they're, over and over again throughout scripture, there is an emphasis that we should all see each other face to face. For instance, in Romans 15, verse 24, as Paul is writing to the church in Rome, he says this in the, in the, closing, of his, in the closing of his letter, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. So Paul wasn't even going to Rome. He was going to Spain, and yet he wanted to stop by Rome to be encouraged by them, to see them and be encouraged by their faith. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 26, Paul tells the Thessalonians to greet each other with a holy kiss. And, and how we shouldn't, you know, take that too far into, you know, we have to kiss each other. We, we should understand that in order to even greet each other with a holy kiss, that requires a physical greeting. 
it's seeing each other face to face. And nowadays, instead of holy kiss, we'll be shaking hands or giving each other bro hugs or side hugs. And then the Apostle John even affirms this. In Second John, verse 12, the Apostle John writes this. He says, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. And, and if you think about it, you try, to, you try to cross the bridge closer from their time to our time. Paper and ink is just, just like what we're doing now. Like we rather not write an email or a text or a Facebook message, rather talk to one another face to face. And so now coming back to our passage in First Thessalonians, we, we, we see the language here. We see the language here of how Paul is just, he's just, he just longs to see the Thessalonians. There's some strong words being used here. In First Thessalonians chapter 2, look at verse 17. Paul here writes, since we were torn away from you, and that word torn away, that Greek word torn away, it literally means to be make an orphan of. It, by means of separation, it, it's a separation between a parent and a child. Uh, Paul here, he's comparing his exit from the city, from the church, as, of, as, if, as if it's a child being torn away from his or her parents. There is a pain there's a pain that Paul felt. And, and we think about the state that the church is in today. We think about how, where we're at today. We feel a similar pain, right? It, it's a painful to be separated right now. But, you know, going online to, to do church, doing all this right now, it just doesn't feel the same. You know, we may be excited to, to be able to do, you may be excited to be able to at least do this, but it's just, it's just not the same. It's, it's difficult to do church online. It's difficult to do small groups virtually. It's, it's tough when you have to stare at a screen all day and, and you, you just can't like, you know, pass notes to your friends or giggle with them on the side, right? Paul here is feeling the pain of being separated from the church. Let's take a look here at how Paul views his current situation. In verse 18, Verse 18, Paul here says, we wanted to come to you. Paul, I, Paul, again, again. Paul here says, again, again, he tried to go back to Thessalonica, but Satan stopped him. And the word here in verse 18, when it says, Satan hindered us. That word hinder, it's, it's a military term. It's often used to speak of stopping an advancing army. We have to remember, we have to remember, guys, that there is a force in this world trying to stop the church. Satan is actively working to destroy the church of God. And they're doing whatever they can to stop the spread of the gospel. Now, Paul here doesn't specify how Satan is stopping him because that is not the point. We can't just take this verse and apply it to everything, right? If, for instance, if, if, you're, if, if you're snoozing your alarm all the time and you 
you can't get up and you become late to small groups in the morning that that's not you can't just say that's satan stopping me and in the same way when we take when we, we just start thinking about this pandemic that's around us we can't just attribute all the credit to satan either but what, what we can see and what we can see is that Satan uses situations like the pandemic for evil, right? Remember, Satan is the prince of this world. He's the enemy of God. He's an adversary to the church. He would do anything to break the church apart. And so in some way, we can say that the way the church is separate today, Satan is using it to pull us apart, Again, we can't say Satan is behind everything, but we also can't be ignorant of the demonic forces that rule over this world. And my point is this. We cannot use the pandemic. We cannot use the stay-at-home order as an excuse to be lazy or stagnant with our faith. <laughs> Just because you cannot physically be at church means doesn't mean that you cannot be the church. This is what Satan wants us to think. But we should know better. We know that, Satan, that though Satan is the prince of this world, we have a higher authority. One who's in control of all things. We know that Jesus Christ sits on his throne as king, lord of lords, over all creation, including Satan himself. So we have so we, we take a look around us and we and, and though things are hard, we trust in a higher authority. Coming back here to Paul, when we're looking here at Paul and we see his desire to see a Thessalonians, we, we have to ask ourselves, what drives Paul to care so much? What drives him to long to see these Thessalonians? And it's I mean it, if you think about when Paul fled the city, he went for, to, from town to town. He was still preaching the gospel. He was still making disciples. It wasn't like he was alone. What was the motivation behind his desire? Look at me at verse 19 now. In verse 19, Paul asked a rhetorical question. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus and his coming? And we look at this question and we think his hope, his joy, his crown of boasting, shouldn't that be Christ? And yet his answer is surprising. He says here is the Thessalonians. The Thessalonians are his glory and joy. Again, we must let context inform us what Paul means here. Like Paul here, he's not replacing God with the Thessalonians. What, what we have to notice is that the context of his question that he poses is in the future. It's about but what, is, what is his hope, joy, and crown boasting before our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? Paul here is speaking about this future coming of Christ. And, and he's thinking about that moment, the moment when Christ comes back. And he's thinking about the joy that he's going to experience during that time. And it's, and it's this future understanding that should help us 
be motivated to live today. For instance, it's, it's like when we talk about dating, right? We always say you must date for marriage. And, and that, that should impact the way you date. It, the, the way you date is an indicator for the way you think about marriage. And so when we look at this, he's thinking about the Lord Jesus Christ as coming and that, that impacts his heart and how he feels about the church. Perhaps the best place that can help us explain what Paul here is talking about is found in Philippians. Now, if you turn me to Philippians, and we go to Philippians chapter 2. Or sorry, Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we take a look at Paul explaining what he means here in Philippians. He says in verse, where is it? It says in verse 21, for me, to live for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What does it mean when he says to me to live is Christ? Well, he explains that. Jump down to verse 24. Philippians chapter 1, verse 24. He says, But to remain the flesh, meaning to live, but to remain the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. What we see here is that Paul understands that he has a task to fulfill while he's still on earth. And that task is to make disciples. It's a task that we all we're all called to make disciples of Jesus Christ. No believer is exempt from this. And so, and so if that is our task, and if we diligently pursue to fulfill that task, then just imagine the great joy and boast you can receive when you reach heaven, and you come before Christ, and on your side, you see the fruits of your labor, you see the people you invested in, standing there with you. Imagine the great joy you can have in that. What we see here is that the church must work together to stay faithful to the end. The church here, the church here is called to make disciples. Call me disciples that we can one day all come together and worship Christ in one voice. You see, the joy that Paul here feels, joy here Paul feels is he's not swelling in pride because he saved people. He's swelling in joy and pride because Jesus rewarded his labor. His labor was not in vain. Jesus saved the people Paul invested to. That gives him great joy and hope and glory. In the same way then, same way, how do you look upon the people, the brothers and sisters around you? What are your relationships like? Look, I know I know we want to see our friends again. Maybe some of you guys are already. You guys are hanging out in, in smaller groups, outdoors. 
I, I know we want to go back on campus and maybe some of you are going back on campus. I'm not sure which schools are open, which ones are not. And some of us want to go back to church. Uh, we want to come back to church and be able to fellowship together again. And, and soon, hopefully, we, we will do that. We want to be able to hang out in malls. We want to be able to eat at restaurants. Uh, uh, some of us want to play basketball. That's what I miss so much. But even if, even if and when things open up again, we have to remember this is not the end. We must look forward to a time when we will gather together in heaven. That is the end. To the day when we can all worship Christ together with one voice with the rest of the saints. Imagine then. Imagine when we reach the end, we reach the finish line. You reach it. And you look to your side. You look to your right. You look to your left. And you realize there's some people missing here. What happens if half the people on this Zoom call right now don't make it to heaven? See, this is what's at stake here. This is what's at stake here. The church must work together and remain faithful to the end, which moves me to my next point, the need to stay accountable. The need to stay accountable. Looking further on this passage, chapter 3, verse 1 to 5, Paul continues to write, Therefore, when we could bear it no longer, we were willing to be left behind at Athens alone. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ, to establish and exhort you in your faith, that no one be moved by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were destined for this. For when we were with you, we kept telling you beforehand that we were to suffer affliction just as it has come to pass. And just as you know, for this reason, when I could bear it no longer, I sent to learn about your faith for fear that somehow the tempter tempted you and our labor would be in vain. Paul here sends Timothy to Thessalonica. And he sends it for a specific reason, right? We see that here in verse 2. And it's to establish and exhort you in your faith. Why? Verse 3. So that no one would be moved by these afflictions. Paul here wants to make sure no one falls away from the faith. No one falls away because of the hardships that they're facing right now. And so Paul here, he, he makes his point clear. He, he, in, in verse 4, he, he speaks about the affliction that Thessalonians face. And he says here in verse 4, this affliction, we already told you about this. You should be expecting this. In other words, Christians should be no strangers to afflictions. Suffering and affliction are expected in the lives of Christians. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So let's think then. Let's think for a moment about the situation we're in right now. Because situations like the one we're facing right now should not surprise us. If we think about the church history, just the 
church history ever since the beginning of the early church. The church has been scattered before, right? If we even look through the New Testament, James. James wrote his letters to Jewish Christians who were scattered throughout the land. Peter wrote his letters to encourage exile Christians, Christians who are away from their home. Church history is filled with Christians who are living under harsh conditions. We have martyrs, Christian martyrs who died under the reign of Queen Mary in England. We have the underground church in China. And today in closed countries like Iraq and Korea, we, we, in North Korea, we still have churches hidden, scattered, unable to meet. And so what we face today with, with this pandemic, with even what's going on culturally in our society, that the opposition to church, to Christianity, to what scripture has to teach, all the moral battles that are before us, that shouldn't discourage us. The church has long survived any suffering because of the faithful hand of God. And so instead of worrying about our current condition, we must look then to stand firm in our faith in the midst of trials. We must look instead to, to God, to Christ, and remember our anchor there. And the reason why we should do this is because our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against spiritual enemies. And we have to remember that Satan constantly used trials in our lives, suffering, affliction, in order to tempt us away from the faith. And this is what Paul here is worried about. He's worried about in the midst of this affliction that the Thessalonians were facing, Paul Paul here is not just concerned with their physical well-being. He's concerned with their faith. He's concerned about their spiritual health. And this is what we see in verse 5. In verse 5, Paul here says that he has this fear that somehow the tempter, Satan, has tempted you and our labor would be in vain. This is... This is the heart that we all have. This is the heart of a pastor. The church, the church is not just a social gathering. The church is one body, unrestrained by physical boundary, one body walking together, walking with one another through the mountains and valleys of life. We are all on the same journey. We're all heading towards the same finish line. And during this time, our, while our hearts should be broken over those who are affected by this virus, and, and we know that things aren't, aren't easy right now, people in their health, financially, people with mentally, emotionally, they're, they're, there's, there's so much fear and, and loneliness happening right now, and, and our hearts should break for them. We should care about those things. But we should also remember that the biggest heartbreak we can face is if when we all get back together as a church and we find out that one of us fell away, one of us no longer walks with Christ. No one, was, no one of us has 
desert the church because no one was around to help him or her when they were struggling. That, that should really, really sadden us. Therefore, I encourage you guys, during this time right now, we must constantly encourage one another to pursue holiness. We must continue to strive forward to walk together. That this Christian walk is not one to be, meant to be done alone. That we are brothers and sisters in Christ, a spiritual family of God. This is why small groups are so important. Because there you grow deeper, build deeper roots into your faith as you guys challenge one another. This is why Friday nights are important because sitting underneath the teaching of God's word helps you grow in your faith. This is why something like a midweek Tuesday night is important because it's a chance for you to think critically and to allow theology to be applied to your life. All these virtual events that we're doing here in Turf, here at FCBC Walnut, they, they may not be ideal, but we cannot think of them as substitutes. You're gathered here right now, tonight, dealing with real issues, with your real life. You're trying to speak practical truth in order to help you stay faithful to God. And so how do you get involved with turf this, this church here? Be present. Join the online events. Be part of the community. Reach out to close friends over the phone, text, video calls. Encourage one another. Message people you haven't seen in a while. Make sure they're doing all right. Run this race together. Remember the end goal. The end goal is not to persevere through this pandemic. The end goal is to be with Christ for all eternity. In order to reach that point, the church must stand firm through these current trials and temptations. And therefore, we must keep each other accountable during these difficult times. My, my third point for tonight is the witness of living faithfully. And turn with me now to, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And we'll look at verses 9 to 12. And here I want to focus upon in a way, just says, how can you be the church in the midst of your studies? And so we see here that living faithfully becomes a witness. First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 9 to 12, it reads this. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more and to aspire to live quietly and to mind your own affairs and to work with your hands as we instructed you so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. But what we see here, what we see here then is that Paul here is focusing on brotherly love. And in our previous two points, we talked about the church unity, which we're really talking about brotherly love, us loving one another, us pushing one another to grow in faithfulness. And here Paul, and, and here in verse 9 and 10, he's saying that this is what you're doing. You're really doing this. 
But at the end of verse 10, he tells them, I want you to do this more and more. I want them to grow in brotherly love. And, and that's what this short passage, verse, chapter 4, verse 9, 12 is about. About how do we continue to grow in loving one another? And so here in verse 11 then, Paul lists three ways of how we can grow. First, he says to, to aspire to live quietly. Paul here is talking about living a tranquil and peaceful life. So instead of stirring up public controversy, it's better to live in peace with everyone. Live in peace with everyone. Again, let's think about the context that the Thessalonians are in. They're, they're facing persecution, right? Public outcry against their faith. And, and there's an uproar against them. And in the midst of this public outcry, it's easy to be tempted to fight back, to retaliate in the same way. Paul here is giving the Thessalonians practical advice. Instead of stirring up more trouble for yourself, it is better to live Quietly. The second exhortation here, Paul writes, is to mind your own affairs. And to mind your own affairs. And if we put it together, the first command here, we will see here, Paul is saying, live quietly and mind your own business. In other words, don't be nosy into other people's, into other people's affair without first taking care of your own. Paul here is talking about Faithful stewardship. Faithful stewardship. Faithful stewardship. And, and so what we get here then is that every one of us has duties and responsibilities that we have to fulfill. Whether we are students, whether we are employees, whether we're the son or daughter, whether we're brother or sister. Wherever we're at, we have roles and responsibilities we must fulfill. And Paul here, Paul is saying, focus on your responsibilities. Be faithful stewards of the roles that God has placed you in. Mind your own affairs. And the third list here, the third command is to work with your own hands. To work with your own hands. This instruction here speaks about putting in your own effort your own weight, to, to not be moved um, by, to not be moved by and dependent upon other people all the time. Right? It's, it's to, to be able to support yourself. Now, of course, you know, when we're, we're talking about the church and we're talking about, you know, trial times, hard times like we're in right now, if, if people are in need, we, we should, I pray that we will help people. I pray that, that, you know, for instance, if someone were to actually come down with COVID-19, I, I pray that, that that individual or family will reach out to help for, from the church. But what Paul here is saying, to work with your own hands, what he's trying to encourage here is for us not to be lazy. It's a hard issue. So not to take advantage of the church nor use people to our own advantage. Instead, we put in our own weight to work with our own hands, to contribute together to the greater good. And so here we're starting to see a bigger picture, right? There, there's something about living quietly, 
something about fulfilling our personal responsibilities and working with our own hands that contributes then to brotherly love. Something here that ties it all together and, what we've, and we'll find that here in verse 12. Verse 12 here is the purpose behind why Paul's instructing them to do all these things. In verse 12, Paul here writes, so that you may walk properly before outsiders, that is unbelievers, people outside the church, and be dependent on no one. There, there are two pur- purposes that Paul lists. Now, let me begin with the second purpose. Paul here tells the Thessalonians to grow in their brotherly love by living quietly, minding their own business, and working with their own hands so that they will be dependent on no one. Now, we just think about that for a moment. It sounds, that sounds really inward thinking, right? That sounds almost selfish-like, right? It, this, this is something that, that we, we might expect to hear from our Asian parents, right? Just, just keep your heads down, keep your nose out of other people's businesses, and then you won't get in trouble. Right? We heard that growing up. Is this really what Paul is trying to encourage here? Again, we must think about the context and look at the context. And so, actually, if you flip back with me to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, we see here what Paul is talking about when he speaks about labor and toil and being dependent on no one. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 9, Paul writes, For you remember, brothers, our labor and toil, we work night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you while we proclaim to you the gospel of God. So Paul's purpose of working is so that he will not be a burden to others so he can preach the gospel for free. No strings attached. So, so what Paul here is saying is that it's, it's, he's saying it's not wrong, you know, it's not wrong to accept money um, from it's not wrong for him to accept money from, from his followers. I mean, for instance, like us pastors, we, we, we get paid by your donations and we're thankful for that. But what Paul here is doing, Paul here is saying he's taking every opportunity to present the gospel without any presumptions, that no one can accuse him for deceiving others for the sake of his own greed. And so Paul, actually when he was in Thessalonica, he worked. He worked day and night making his own living so that he does not have to depend upon the gifts of his followers. He can preach the gospel to them without any pretense. What we can infer here, when Paul here is telling the Thessalonians to be dependent on no one, he is telling them to work so that they can proclaim the gospel freely without placing the burden on anyone. That's what he's saying here. Now with that, let's turn to the first purpose that Paul here lists. Paul. Paul here, he tells the Thessalonians to work quietly so that they may walk properly before outsiders. With those who are outside the church. Well, let us think for a moment how this may play out. Say, for instance, that you know a classmate. A classmate who is an outspoken Christian. He shares the gospel without shame. And, and, and there's a certain courage about this classmate that he has, a passion in him. He loves Christ and he loves the church. And no one can question his faith. And yet, yet here's the thing. 
this one classmate, he's, he's not a really good student. He doesn't really get his work done. If you're in a group project with him, you can't really count on him. He's just not the hardest worker. And the reason being is because he tends to always say, hey, I have to go to this, you know, Friday night fellowship. I have, I have to go hang out with my church buddies. It's, it's for the sake of building the body. And so he leaves, he, he leaves like these group meetings and these group projects early just so he can, you know, attend, uh, I don't know, prayer meetings or, or different group hangouts. And it just seems like he, this seems like he has his priorities, church first, school last. What do you think unbelievers will say about this one classmate? They will probably say, yeah, he, he may be a faithful Christian, but man, he's lazy. I, I, I mean, I understand he might have a busy life outside of school, but you know, it just doesn't seem right. You see, there's, there's a kind of properness and respect that Paul here is speaking about here. He, he's reminding us that, that though we do belong to the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God comes, you know, it should be our pride and joy. It doesn't mean we should neglect our responsibilities that we have here on earth. Instead, we have a stewardship a stewardship to fulfill our earthly responsibilities with diligence. And that's, I mean, that's what it means to be above reproach, uh, the, probably the highest characteristic, godly characteristic that, that we should all be pursuing. So know what I'm saying here. I'm saying here that you should, I'm not saying here that you should necessarily prioritize your grades over church. I'm not saying that. I'm not, not saying you should make school first in your life and you can take care of that. What I'm saying here is that the gospel must be the motivating factor behind everything you do. Christians must pursue excellence for the sake of the gospel. You work hard at school so that no one can accuse you of anything. But you also strive after holiness by attending small groups, by serving and caring for one another, by listening and reading the word of God, so that you also don't compromise the gospel. In all things, do it for the sake of the gospel. In other words, we heed the words of we heed the words of Paul from 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of of God. We are to do all these things for the sake of God's glory, for the sake of the gospel. I mean, there are so many excuses that we can make during this pandemic. There's so many excuses that we can make during this pandemic again. And our lives right now have been turned upside down because of this, this virus that's around us. And, and that's understandable. It's understandable that it's been difficult for us to adjust, right? It's, it's hard for us to, to, to adjust to this current reality. It's right, the face mask that we had to wear, they're uncomfortable. The online socialization, it's, it's just not the same. And staying at home for many of us, especially, you know, we're staying at home with our parents, it can be frustrating. I understand. But we must 
you must remember this. The virus cannot separate you from the love of God. The virus cannot separate you from the church. The virus cannot separate you from the gospel. What we have in Christ is eternal. And when we're talking about something that's eternal, we're not saying it lasts, we're not just saying it lasts forever. We're saying that it doesn't diminish. It doesn't fade away. It doesn't just go away and come back again. What we have in Christ is both eternal and constant. In fact, what we see here, what Paul here is encouraging us, is that we should be growing deeper and deeper in our faith. And that's what we do by being a church. Our love for one another, our pursuit of holiness should bring witness for the gospel to show people that we are suffering the same way as they are, but we are going to do it with integrity. We're going to do it with love, with gentleness, with a hope that is transcendent, that points all towards Christ and his gospel. So let us then continue to be the church, to live life with one another, to mourn with those who mourn, to rejoice with those who rejoice. We, we stay committed to one another, not because we have to, but because we're family. We want to run this race well. We want to do it together with no man left behind. And so we work hard. We, we work hard, we don't complain, and we diligently fulfill our responsibilities at school, at church, and at home. We do it out of love for people, and out of love for the gospel. Let me go ahead and end this time with a statement from Jesus Christ himself about Christ. Turn with me to John, the gospel of John, Turn me to John chapter 13. On the night before Jesus was arrested, he had one last supper with his disciples. And, and, and as the night was coming towards the end, Jesus gave them one last discourse. He, he, he just taught them one last time. And he told them he was leaving them. Read with me, John chapter 13, verse 33. Jesus says, little children, yet a little while I am with you. You will seek me. But just as I said to the Jews, so now I say also to you, where I am going, you cannot come. Jesus is saying here, he's going to be now physically apart, separated from his disciples, from his followers. And even now, today, we are physically apart from Christ. Yes, spiritually united, but our bodies, physical bodies are here and his physical body is in heaven. Jesus says this. And then note here in chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus then encourages them with a new commandment. He says, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you you also are to love one another. By this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples. You have loved one another. Now, 
now the, you know the disciples heard this and, and obviously the disciples were troubled by what jesus was saying here right they're not they weren't troubled by this commandment they know they should love one another but they were troubled by the fact that jesus will leave them soon and so jesus knowing this he says this now jump with me to chapter 14 chapter 14 verse 1 jesus says this let not your hearts be troubled believe in god believe also in me in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a room for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself. That where I am, you may also be. We see here Jesus Christ, he may have left. He may not be here physically on earth, but he is preparing a room for you. He is waiting for you. And though we may be separated from him right now, we will one day be with him forever. And he is waiting, faithfully waiting for you. And Jesus says this in verse 4. He says, and you know the way to where I am going. Jesus says, we know the way. We know that way is through the cross. In verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. In other words, Jesus provided a way for us to reach the finish line. It is by his blood we are made clean and we can reach the end. He is faithful. It is by Jesus' sacrifice that we are now adopted into this family of God. It is because of Christ that he faithfully sustains us to the end. And now he is preparing for us a great and glorious day when we will be united with him. United with Christ forever. Jesus is faithfully working for you. Let us then faithfully continue to run towards him, our God, our Lord, and our King. Let me go ahead and pray for us. Father, we thank you for this time that we will study your word. And I pray, Lord, that we are encouraged to live this life faithfully. That, Lord, we would continue then to run this race well. And that, God, we will truly find truly find joy in you. So Lord, in the midst of all this that's happening, I pray, Lord, for every person here as they begin their school year, whether it's soon or whether it's in, I don't know, a month and a half, I pray, Lord, that you will continue to help them grow. That, Lord, each one of them will continue to run this race together and that they will continue to support one another, to bear one another's burdens so that we may reach the finish line together. I pray, Lord, that you continue to keep every one of them. Father, we thank you for all things. We thank you most of all for your son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for us. May he be praised. May he be the one whom we live for. Let us continue then to walk this life together and live for the glory of Christ. Be with us in our discussion. And I pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.